And welcome in. This is Mustache, the drinking podcast. Quinn and Andrew leading the way today, as we always do. We're closing in on 20 episodes. The four of you still listening after we just don't release an episode every month. Uh, we still love you. You're amazing. Thank you for not leaving us. Um, you will. We appreciate I'm you sure. so but, much. Uh, and eventually, we'll just stop releasing episodes for enough times that um, you'll hate us and never want to talk to us again. But <laughs> we're going to start off as we always do uh, with what we're drinking. Quinn, I'm going to defer to you on what you're drinking today. And we're, we're talking about wine. Wine. Something we should have started with right away. We didn't even cut the basics of everything. So this is the basics of wine. Wine 101. Yeah, so for my Wine 101, I'm going to open my House Wine brand Original Red Blend. It's in a can. Yeah, that, that would be in a can. We have had this in our apartment Are you since... pouring it into a glass? Yes, I am. <laughs> okay, move on. Moving on, sorry. We have had this in our apartment since a little bit before we started recording the podcast. My fiance was given it, and she's not much of a wine drinker, uh, at least not red wines or anything potentially dry or not super sweet Diosti cupcake. Uh, but so we, we've had this for a while, and I immediately, when we talked about doing the podcast, I looked at it and I went, I need to do the canned wine on that. So this this is my first time trying house wine uh, and their original red blend. Okay, so it has a good body. I'm going to start with that. It smells good on the nose. It's not super powerful. Some sweet kind of fruity smell to it. I can't tell if maybe there's some oak to that, but if there is, it's not much. And the taste... It's kind of right in the middle between, you know, sweet and dry. So it doesn't push, you know, either way. Fitting for something called house wine, it's going to meet most palates. Um, like sweetness-wise, the flavor, not the best. And the finish gets better the more you drink. That... That is definitely yeah, true. Isn't that for everything? <laughs> I mean, yeah, probably. <laughs> um, no, my, my first couple of sips, it had this really kind of acidic back to metal it. Metal taste? Okay. Yeah, like the metal mixed with... Um, I, the phrase I want to use here is going to make it sound way worse than it is. So I'm going to go with like a little bit of vinegariness to it maybe, but not not vinegar. It's not that kind of acid. Like it was separated maybe? Like you should have shaken it up first? 
didn't know I was supposed to shake my can of wine. Are you? No, no that, that's a, that is a, that is me questioning. I didn't know that. I don't know if you're supposed to. I, I don't think you're supposed to. It's described okay, as being sure. big, bold, jammy, and smooth. Okay. Let, let me try it again after reading the description of it that they give. Okay, so I definitely agree with smooth. It's not bold. Though it does have... A, not like, Yeah, bold to me means like it has these bold flavors to it. It doesn't have bold flavors to it, in my opinion. Though it does have a really bold mouthfeel and like kind of texture as you're drinking it. Um, jammy. Yeah, I, I get some kind of fruitiness, which I'll say is jammy. Because jammy, I don't, I think of kind of like a mix of fruits where you can't really pick out what it is. So on a scale of, I got this wine for free. And I would have it again. Yes. Um, would this be a wine that I'm going to buy at the store? No. Not personally. Uh, it, when it comes to a really cheap wine that I kind of like, I secretly love Tisdale at the like $4 a bottle that it is. Uh, it is my favorite cooking wine. And one of the only brands where both my wife and I agree on a wine. So, so I got to give them props for that. Which is shocking because you both have opposite tastes in wine, drastically different tastes in wine. Like (laughs) I want something that is dry and red. She wants something that is white syrupy and sweet. Exactly. Is that what uh, are you drinking this week, Andrew? That, that that's your that's your uh, uh, summation of your wine choice this week. <laughs> that's my summation of the wine choice this week. I'm not much of a wine okay. drinker when it comes to like your standard grape wines. I I like blended wines, which this is a blended wine. It's not. I'm going to come back to this wine after I've had a little bit more of it. Okay. And, you know, you like meat as well, which we'll get to. I love meat. The best (laughs) wine. We'll move on to my choice. Uh, As you know, if you've been listening, paying attention, uh, I'm not allowed to live at home right now. Um, My house is kind of infected. I'm living with my sister, and uh, the fridge was fair game as she is not home tonight. And I rummaged it, and there was exactly one bottle of wine open out of the <clears throat> six that she has in there. And uh, yeah, six. That's so a lot of wine I decided that I would, I would, and, you know, that's you know, I'm not. That's not a judgment. I'm saying <laughs> good job. You're well prepared and you're stocked. I just so there there was. There's a lot of there's not a lot. Anyways, there's there was a there's a lot of wine in there. Um and this one was open. 
And I was like, well, she's not here, so I'll drink it. And if you can't tell, I've already had like a glass. So uh, she doesn't buy expensive wine. And I'm not like an expensive wine fan either, because what if you don't like it? And now you've spent like $30 on this bottle that you're just going to throw away. Yep, that's what has kept me from probably becoming more of a wine drinker. Yeah, because it's expensive. And it's like, man, I just... Oh, like I want to try more, but I don't want to like delve into that and be wrong because I've, it's just bad feelings. I feel like wine is one of those things where like there's so much variance between wines that if you like, you like a certain thing and you try something hoping it's going to be like that, you could fuck up hard. Okay, Quinn. So my choice was the open bottle in the fridge, which was red Moscato. Uh, it's from Barefoot. Uh, it's a sweet wine. A Moscato is a sweet wine, as is. It's the red uh, version of it. It is. Uh, it's described as juicy and fruity wine with distinct flavors of peaches and Bing cherries. Best served chilled. Pairs well with soft white cheeses, fresh fruits. Orange chicken salad and all spicy fare. A refreshing sweet wine with some spice would probably be an interesting uh, combination that I haven't tried yet. Um, but that does sound good. Some flavors on the nose, I would say. So it smells exactly like a Moscato smells. And I don't know how to describe that. And other than like a sweet berry kind of smell, like a sweet red berry kind of thing. <sighs> And it smells, I want to say warmer than like a regular Moscato, like not as sweet, like a little bit more of a, a depth to it than like your regular white Moscatos. Okay. Have you had many, um, you said this was barefoot? Yes. Have you had many barefoot yes. wines? A lot. Okay. Same. <laughs> My mom's favorite wine is Barefoot um, White Zinfandel, and my sister's favorite wine is also Barefoot White Zinfandel, um, uh, which is one of the most popular wines probably in the world, but definitely among like suburban moms. <laughs> I mean, that is a wine that I know I have seen any way that sells wine yeah. pretty much. They're always going to have a White Zin. At least around where I'm from and where I live. Yeah, no, I understand what you're saying. They White Zen is a very popular and Barefoot is a mass distributor. So that's definitely a um, leading one. Uh, but on the tongue for this one. So it's your typical sweet Moscato. It sits on the back of your tongue with that sweetness. But the red, the red in this is definitely tartening the drink a touch. So it's not quite as sweet, which I like. I like. I am, you know, a glass and a half in. And that's definitely uh, changing the flavors it to it a little bit. a little bit better. It takes away what you don't want. And I say that in a very specific tone because I think that you like 
of your drinking more when you've drank it a little bit, especially like a wine, because I completely agree. The things that you didn't like about the drink per se start to fade away into the background because that's what your because your brain doesn't want to taste them, right? So the drunker you get, the less you taste them. It's kind of the thing of like, you know, if you're going, if you're going to, if you want to get like messed up drinking, you're going to start with your good beer. If you're drinking beer, you're going to start with like your good beer. And then you're going to have like bush light on deck for when you're like five beers in. Cause everything starts to taste. I don't the same. think I've ever had bush light on deck. Quinn, you're also not a regular college student. You also weren't a regular college student. <laughs> I, I guess, <laughs> kind of. I'm I'm saying that once you're a few in, it all starts to taste the same. Kind oh yeah, I, I mean, relative. some of the depth and all the nuances. You're, you're if you're tasting them, you're not noticing them. Yeah, so I think I think it's a little bit tartar than your regular Moscato, but it is good. It's not my choice. And bring up the barefoot, which I think is interesting because I've gotten roasted for this before. But one of my favorite like value wines to get, like if you're going to the liquor store and you want to get a good wine and you want to get a good tasting drier wine that has a high percentage, because those are kind of like the key things that I like to hit, a high percentage of alcohol and a good taste. And with your sweeter wines, you're going to have a, based on how they're made, you're going to have a lower percentage of alcohol, just how it is. This mascot, unless they're fortified. That's a little bit of a different category, though, too. It's not it's not your base wine, right? To fall into like being a true fortified wine. Yeah. I wonder if you fortify at all, if you have to classify as a fortified wine, because I know meads don't have to do that. What does fortified mean? So fortified means... um, in winemaking, you can change your flavors while it's fermenting or while it's aging, or you can take it, add something to it, back sweeten it is often what you'll do is so you'll add in more sweetness, which in like mead making, that's honey and water. In wine, you could add grape juice or you could even add like a simple syrup um, or a sweeter wine or like grape and then you would add to fortify it generally a flavorless spirit into it like a vodka um there's a couple of viking blood meads that are fortified because they back sweeten to add in more of the hibiscus flavor hmm interesting i'd never i mean i've heard of fortified wines but i hadn't I didn't understand the concept until now. I only recently started learning more about like fortification in winemaking uh, just because of my own making of mead. Would you fortify a mead? Would you, you specifically in your cask, would you fortify mead? Would I be willing to? Sure. Have I? No. Okay. I haven't needed to back sweeten with the recipes I'm using because I've been trying to avoid doing it just because I don't want to add another step on if I can avoid it. And uh, 
Quinn, with that, we'll move on to our types of wine for all you novice wine drinkers. You have a lot of types out there. Oh, I didn't even finish. It's a rich red blend is the barefoot blend that I'm talking that I was talking about. I apologize. My one of my favorites, it's a rich red blend. It's 13 and a half percent or 13 percent. It's like nine dollars at my local liquor store to get a liter of it. And um, that's a good night right there. I'm just saying. So. You know, you talk about your blends of wines. Those are going to be for your cheaper wines. You're looking for something like your box wine is honestly not a bad choice. When you might, you might ostracize me for that, but I'm saying it, but 100% no. honest, a boxed wine I, is a good choice. I Value. can't judge you. I, I, in the beginning, recommended a $4 bottle <laughs> as one of my favorites. <laughs> When it comes to wine, I cannot judge one bit, and uh, that that helps inform my trying not to judge a whole lot when it comes to any other alcohol. So you know, you're it. It's hard when you want to like be a wine drinker buying a box of wine because you've seen the franzias, you've seen the slap the bag garbage, and you're like, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be one of them. And then you buy a box of wine and you have it for like two months and it costs like $19 and you're like, God damn, this was a good choice. It's always there and it goes bad after like four, three to four months. So it's like a perfect time because frame. Like every- it's so well sealed in that pouch. And it's just a lot. Like it's like four three to four bottles of wine in that bag and you I mean, can it go wasn't probably go on probably 10 years ago not even um there was starting to be a big push towards like more fancy boxed wines and they started getting you know more stylized boxes cooler shaping um and better wine put inside of them. I don't know currently how the boxed wine trend has fared. I just remember because my parents were wine drinkers that um, I would, I started to see, you know, different kind of boxed wines around then. Yeah, no. And, and I think you're seeing that today because what you're drinking is a boxed wine, you know, it's in a can. Well, it's a it's a canned wine. There's a difference but, there, and I don't think that's a necessarily like a difference I no. want to. What to I'm saying is with Anon, that brand is a boxed wine brand. House wine. Oh, okay. house wine is a boxed wine brand. Like there, that's I had never heard of house wine before. Oh, okay. So this is good. Yeah. No, that is a. Bo- boxed wine brand and it's okay it, it's not bad it, it's one it's one of the middle ground ones that you're going to get uh the other big ones are going to be your franzi of course black box is huge um, yep i know black box those are kind of like the big three uh there's one with a like a god damn it barefoot does have some box wines there's one with a i think it's like provisional wine company or something like that Big box wine co maybe it is and they have like gangsters on all of all of the boxes uh those are some of the bigger mm. ones but black box franzia 
and housewine are like the kind of the three that I see all the time out there. And they're, they're, they're very middle of the road wine, but you're not buying it for like a really nice wine. You're buying it because it's a lot in a cheaper package and it just fits in the fridge nicer than three separate bottles of wine. You know what I mean? And it doesn't go bad as fast. So you're not, you know, on the clock when you open a bottle of wine, you got three days to finish this for it to really taste good before you end up with a bottle of cooking wine. Exactly. So we're looking at that and we look at the different kinds you can get in a box wine. You can get just about yeah. any flavor. Blends are very popular, obviously. And, and uh, um, that brings us right into our types of wine and the number one in the world, which is a Cabernet uh, Sauvignon or just a cab as I'm going to refer to it. Uh, this is one of my, my favorite types of wine when I'm going for dark or dry wines because it's easy, right, Quinn? It's, it's an easy yeah, it's dry a, wine. It's a full-bodied wine, um, generally with kind of dark fruit flavors like black cherry and currant and a cedar taste to it, um, which comes from oak aging because you can't age in cedar it will kill you never age with cedar just because the oils in it are not good for you and will actually be extracted by the alcohol you make so don't use cedar uh, but you can get that kind of flavor with oak uh, next we move on to the Syrah excuse uh, me this is Merlot. In- or, uh, uh, not Syrah we agreed on this. It's a Malbec. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is really similar to the Malbec. The Malbec is, I guess, the Argentinian version of it. Um, and this is a... It can have a little bit more of like a smoky-ish taste to it sometimes, or a spicy taste, um, and has a lot of body. But is also known for its like blueberry and plum like flavor. This is your meat wine. This dry wines are your meat wines. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Malbec. If, if I'm eating a steak, Malbec is probably going to be the type of wine that, that I'm going to order. I don't know a whole lot about wine, but I know a decent amount about wine and food pairing which is kind of weird. Well, I mean, I mean, you, you can eat it, you can drink it with a steak or you can drink it continuously over a week while you grind out a hundred page project for one of your classes. Speaking from experience, I'm not even going to front on this. Moving on to Zinfandel. <laughs> uh, I'm going to let you cover Zinfandels because when Quinn. we were talking just before the show, I found out I'm entirely wrong about what a Zinfandel kind of tastes like. And I have a Zinfandel in the car. Uh, Zinfandel I did not know existed. Oh, not a white Zinfandel, just a Zinfandel. It's a very different kind of drink. It's a red, it's a red, it's a red wine. Uh, it's full on fruit, full on body, middle of the road in tannins, low in acidity. 
a broad exotic array of fruits from stone to red to blue to black Asian uh, five spice powder. It's got sweet tobacco for taste. Um, it's a medium bodied red wine that originated in Croatia, which I didn't know. It's very, I thought that was super interesting as did Quinn wines are uh, fruit forward. They have spicy medium finish. Um, it's not better known than it's pink variation. The white's in. I def it says it is, but I definitely cannot see this. This is another meat wine, as most of your red wines are going to be. And that brings us right into our Pinot Noir, which is high in acidity, high in fruit, and it's got a medium body with a low tannin. This is an interesting one. Quinn, you like Pinot Noirs, you said. Yes, I do. Uh, this is probably my favorite specific red wine. Um, they're very like red berry flavor, cherry, um, cranberry. I even had a little bit of like rose, uh, raspberry to it. And they're also uh, are able to have floral notes alongside like rose. These are generally lighter bodied red wines. I think they work really well with most meats other than beef. I like it with your kind of dark meat, um, fowl, which would be your duck, um, dark meat on turkey, um, as well as chicken and pork. Are you a big fan of Pinot Noirs? Um, yes and no. Uh, it's a good dry wine, but if I'm going to pick a dry, I think I'd rather have a cab than a Noir. Um, I know that you can use a Pinot Noir to make a sangria. It It's a good base to get to a sangria, which is a very fruity red, red, red wine blend. But moving on from that. Yeah, next on we have one that before the show, we both kind of realized... We're not big fans of, and that's Chardonnay. I hate uh, Chardonnay. Which is a fairly fruity, well-bodied, not very sweet, and kind of mid-tier acidity. And it it often has a citrusy flavor to it um, and can often carry alongside tropical notes such as uh, pineapple or banana and has a touch of kind of toasted caramel notes or vanilla. Uh, this is one that goes really well with seafood. It is a, a lobster, a shrimp, a crab wine. Um, goes well with mushrooms, cream sauces. Uh, it actually is one that's great to use in anytime you're caramelizing onions. Deglazing with a Chardonnay is a really delicious choice because it will essentially take off those sugars that are on the bottom of the pan and reintroduce them to the food while adding those fruity flavors and not imparting too much sweetness as it just helped bring back that sugar. It's just a, it's like it's in the middle of a wine I'd want. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it's got a, it's flavor is not good in my opinion. And uh, 
oh, it's like it should be sweet and then it's just never sweet. Like the flavor should be sweet and then you never get that and you're left wanting it and I never want another glass of Chardonnay. I've never had a glass of Chardonnay and wanted another one. Same. <laughs> now, I have wanted another glass of Sauvignon Blanc when I've had one of those before. And that's a fruitier wine, lighter body, again, low sweetness and high acidity. These are very citrus forward, fruity, herbaceous um, wines. So they'll have like minty or sometimes even like basely grassy, peppery flavors in the back of it. Um, these are widely planted in France and the wines are a little bit tart and kind of resemble green fruit flavors. This is one that goes really well with not necessarily shellfish, but fish in general. Um, and then chicken, pork, and nutty cheeses. I've never, I've never made tacos and said, you know what would go great with this? Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah, looking here, that is one of the recommended pairings. I feel like I need to make that happen now. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, I could see that if it's super, you know, citrus, fruit forward, um, but not super sweet and high in acidity, that would fit really well. Okay, well, hold on. Um, how Quinn. do you feel I about Pinot Grigio? It's Pinot Grigio, not Pinot Gris. What the what the fuck is Pinot Gris? I I don't know. Pinot Grigio is not a bad wine. It's a it's a I I I struggle a little bit sometimes with wines that you drink and the stomach acid immediately comes back up out your throat a little bit. Yep, I struggle drinking those a little bit, but it's not bad. I'm a big fan of Pinot Grigio. This uh, Pinot Grigio is the first wine I tried that I ever liked. Hmm. Uh, these, I would describe them as being not a super, f not, so a flavorful wine that is really delicate. So it it's, really well balanced it's fruity it's a little bit sweet it's a little bit acidic it's really kind of smooth um body wise and it, it's all about kind of balancing the fruit the acid and the sweet uh these are great with delicate fishes so um, your flaky like tilapias or a poached fish um, or salads and then light and mild cheeses. I also think it goes really well with a light cream sauce on a pasta, like an Alfredo. Well, not quite an Alfredo, something a little bit lighter than that. Um, but the flavor notes on the wine itself are you know, kind of a delicate citrus 
um, with citrus zest flavor to it, um, as well as floral notes and sometimes kind of the umaminess that you could relate to like a cheese rind. And that brings us to our last wine, Quinn, which you have want nothing to do with. I already know before I even have to start speaking about Riesling. Um, <laughs> Riesling is a, is a very sweet forward, very fruity. Um, it says middle, middle sweetness, but pretty much every Riesling I've had has been very high in sweetness. And Moscato isn't even on here, is it? Oh, it's Moscato and Riesling are very it- similar. That's what. I'm not a fan of Rieslings, though I prefer a Riesling to a Moscato. It's a little bit less sweetness, it says. More fruit and acid forward. But um, it's another citrus wine. Stoned fruits are prominent. Uh, Floral and herb. Herbal are very high in this one. Uh, Aromatic white, variable sweetness for this. Uh, It says off dry style which is probably right it's a middle ground sweetness and you can get a drier riesling compared to a moscato which is usually almost always um very 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 sweet it is very high in acid which i just don't i'm trying to remember but i don't think i remember that i don't think i remember it being high in acid when i've tried rieslings in the past i remember them being a little acidic but primarily just sweet yeah the sweet overdoes that for our types of wines uh i think that's one of the one of the sweeter ones moscato would obviously be probably the sweetest i've tried at least uh uh, but with that that'll pull us right into boone's farm is the sweetest wine i've tried what kind is that a brand Yes. Oh, so, it, what kind of what kind was it? Like, a, I have no idea. Oh, that's pointless. Then, okay. Pink okay. grape juice. <laughs> there was no liquor in it. You're just remembering wrong. Is that how I'm? Is that what I'm hearing? No. It. It's. Um, my wife had it in the fridge when we started dating. <laughs> no wonder you don't remember that. What was that like? Ten years ago. <laughs> Six ish, seven ish. Yeah. Not quite. <laughs> Not quite 10 years. <laughs> it's a long time ago. And uh, wine's pretty old. So we'll move into a little of the history and we'll try to flow through this pretty quickly as we're trying to make episodes shorter so that the four of you don't have to sit and listen to us dribble for an hour and a half at a time. Because we understand that's a long time. <laughs> so... We're looking at uh, 4,100 BC. The oldest winery is founded in ancient Armenia. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was discovered in 2007 by UCLA researchers. It had uh, barrels or pottery things of wine. In three, a thousand years later, the pharaohs rise to power in Egypt, and they begin making a wine-like substance from red grapes and using it in ceremonies because it resembled blood. Wine was drank at least 3,700 years ago in northern Israel. When they had wine cellars, they understood that the wine needed to be in a cellar <laughs> that long ago in 1700 BC. And they said, I, mean, I that, feel like after you keep wine for a while, you figure out that it likes cool, dark places. 
there there was 500 of gallons of wine that could have been stored in the cellar. Are you shitting me? 500 gallons? Holy shit. That, that <laughs> oh is someone who valued their wine. <laughs> Good God. And we move on to 1200 BC to 600 BC. Uh, the Egyptians, the Phoenicians, begin to trade across the Mediterranean and the Middle East. And uh, in their trading, they brought wine with them. So now we have spots all, all along the Mediterranean that wine is spreading to here as we get closer to the uh, end of the BC era. We look at the rise of Greece. The Greece, you had a, had a, a god that was the symbol of Dionysus. wine. Dionysus, he was a symbol of wine and orgies, right, Quinn? Yeah, it was like uh, wine and love. <laughs> oh, sorry. Specifically, they were, I'm fairly certain. They, but. they didn't, they didn't <laughs> point straight to the orgies, even though that they were having them. They they wanted to keep it a secret. <laughs> ah, the Greeks. <laughs> oh, oh, ancient Greece. So the Greeks, they would conquer areas and they would bring grapevines with them. So the famous wines of Sicily and southern, southern Italy, uh, wine was brought there originally by the Romans. It's or by the Greece, the Greeks, it says. Don't quote, don't, don't quote us. We don't know what the fuck we're talking about. We do research, but we, I'm not a historian. This, <laughs> it's also wine week and I don't know shit about wine. You, you heard me. I know yeah, very Quinn little about it. Quinn doesn't know dick shit about wine. So, uh, we just, nope. we just use the internet. Not much of a wine drinker. Just like you guys. Which brings us to the Romans, who invented the internet, it says here. Oh, wait, no, never mind. So the Romans <laughs> take over the power gap. In the 1975, <laughs> the Romans invented the internet with help from the, uh, the Ottoman Empire. Ancient Mesopotamians <laughs> in alliance with the Ottoman Empire. And they gave us the internet through tubes. Beautiful, Moving amazing. on, the Romans make their make wine their own, and they have their own god. His name is Bacchus, who is a party animal. If you've read into Roman Roman mythology a little bit, you know, sounds like probably Dionysus. They begin to build and formalize the cultivation cultivation, and they spread it. All across Europe on their conquered lands, they they plant grapevines in France, Germany, Italy, Portugal, Spain, as well as a number of Central European countries. So Rome, huge basically driver every in, European country that makes wine now is on that list. It sounds like, and that was started by the Romans, and then we move into this religious blowing up in the world kind of like the dark ages time religion is pushing alcohol wine all across the world as they're starting to use it in ceremonies the catholics and their the body of christ and and the blood and and they're using it in their substantiation exactly so they're using it in their ceremonies and that means they have to make it wherever they they go so these missionaries are going across the world in japan you know, spreading wine, spreading wine and killing science. And we move on <laughs> in <laughs> Japan. 
plants grapevines in about the 1800s, about 300 years after they were originally brought wine uh, by Portuguese Jesuits, which is very interesting that that these missionaries spreading to the Americas all across are now bringing wine to places. That's fascinating. And we get Chilean wine. And uh, Quinn, I think our favorite part of this is wine's first step into the U.S. in 1562. Oh, you told me this fact, and I laughed my ass off. (laughs) I'm going to read this one verbatim because it's fucking awesome. It says, wine comes to America, being made for the first time by French Huguenots in Jacksonville, Florida. The Huguenots did not bring European grapes with them, but instead used native grapes they found growing in the area. The wine made was not pleasant to the Huguenots, and they stopped making wine shortly after they began. And I just want to ask a question. Have you ever had Jacksonville's finest wine? No, because it doesn't exist because it's not a wine-growing climate. (laughs) (laughs) I... Is there any wine made in that area in at Florida, all? In Florida? Uh, I just, I don't think I drink a Florida wine. Is there bath salts in it too? I, I'm, go on. I'm going to let you know if I find a Florida wine. Oh my God. Got it. So we look to Canada now. 16, we're in the 1600s. And they are bringing in these Jesuits again. European grapes. They can't grow them there. The cold climate. But the fun fact here, it says Leif Erikson, who has a park in Duluth, is believed to have cultivated wildly growing grapes in 1100 AD, but a settlement didn't exist. So that was before that time, you know, the Norsemen. And uh, he tried to, he did cultivate grapes there, local grapes. Now we move a little bit forward. Forward, 8, 1619, the French begin cultivating imported grapevines Breaking in news. There is one. God damn it. There are... There's a list of the 10 best. Oh, so there's more than 10 in Jacksonville. The, well, not in Jacksonville. I, I, I'm looking throughout all of Florida. Oh, okay. Fine. I don't see one specifically in Jacksonville, so I think we're safe. Well, the Huguenots were right, obviously. It just doesn't feel it's a humid climate. They gave up and moved on. What grapes would grow well in a humid climate? It just poisonous ones, I assume, because it's Florida. Like, (laughs) (laughs) um, and now we move up the coast because they're not on the west coast where you know Sonoma County and all this, all these other wine juggernauts are in the U.S. So they try to cultivate in Virginia. They're making up and down the coast. They're trying to make wine, but religion comes in again and the puritanical roots of the colonies take over and wine does not immediately be a success because of the Puritans. So it, it's, it's like they brought it up to a point and then the Puritans just cut it off in the U.S. But eventually it does take. It does take you know, interestingly, I'm fairly certain at that time, did beer have any kind of footing? I don't think in the U.S. yet, right? Right. Because that was only I, the early... There has to be someone secretly making beer. Or, you know, Everclear. <laughs> 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 or 
what's more likely? It's not as easy to hide a still as it is just, you know, a barrel. I'm sure there was some farmer somewhere going like, I like this spicy juice I make. <laughs> because it tastes good. <laughs> I call this a happy juice. I call this my happy juice. Oh, my God. And uh, <laughs> we look at the asshole who started Sonoma County. Spanish missionary Junipero Serra travels to California and settles in San Diego, bringing wine with him. And just 50 years later, Sonoma's first winery is made and it sets up ridiculous housing prices in California for the rest of time. And uh, we look at Thomas Jefferson, who is the minister to France, brought back French, French wine to the U.S. So now we're, inf- and we're bringing in the U.S. into this. The U.K. makes Australia a penal colony. And they bring wine with them. Like, what the fuck is going on? Like, they're like, they're, they're traveling People like the world. wine. They're traveling the world, and they're like, we can't bring bottles of it. Well, the ship will be too heavy, and everybody will be drunk. We'll just drink it all on our way there. Let's bring a fucking grapevine. Let's bring it with. And they do all over the yeah. fucking world, and it works. It works. I think that's the most fascinating part. Is it works. Because you're that grapes can grow so many places. Yes, and it, those French grapes that make such great wine, they just like fuck it and take it with them, and it fucking works. Like the the Australian one, they were South South American or South African grapes, so that makes sense a little bit. The climates are about the same, but the fact that they're just bringing grapevines across the world and these vines aren't dying, like it doesn't say seeds. It bring it, the whole vine is what they're bringing with. And the other thing that's so impressive is the flavor of wine changes so much based off of the soil it's that the grapes are being grown in. And so just the fact that, you know, those right soil conditions to make really good wine exist so many places, or maybe it should be, well, no shit, great soil condition should exist on, you know, land, but you know, in a day and age where we've given up on soil conditions, it's surprising to me. And we look at the Californian gold rush. People from all over the U.S. streaming to get to California for this gold rush. And what do they bring with them? Fucking wine. They're bringing grape- Also pickaxe. Pickaxe, of course. They're bringing grapevines with them to fucking grow wine in there. And most of these are indigenous to France. They bring Zinfandel, the Croatian grape, that California is now known for. So the gold rush people, the, the gold rushers, they would go there and they started... Prospectors. The prospectors, thank you, Quinn. They started this, this elite worldwide wine country, I would say. I will have to agree because I don't really know that much about California wine. So, yeah, (laughs) I know that the U.S. grows a lot or makes a lot of wine in California. Really, my wine knowledge, we're exposing it. (laughs) If it doesn't include food and wine, nothing. So we look at. 1863 is where we are now in Algeria. The Phoenicians had planted wine vineyards, made vineyards here. They had wine, they had vines here 
already. But Islamic rule snuffed that out. We're not alcohol lovers. They they didn't they didn't cultivate that. And French colonists come back and make more wine. They're like we're bringing the wine back, and they bring it in. They started again, and when the French ceded control of this, so they stopped colonizing this country. Uh, production went into a long decline. So the French are very strong upholders in wine, as yeah, we should the, not the, be surprised. The French like their wine, but they also <laughs> like to colonize. And get, uh, <clears throat> Britain, France. <laughs> Portugal. Por- Portugal. Spain. Controlling the world. Spain. Controlling Europe. the world. Just Europe in general. It's fucking true. And then we look at our last, our two last stops on this journey before we hit on Mead. China opens its economy in 1980, and wine is flooded in for the upper and middle class. And it has become one of the world's largest consumers and producers of wine, probably partially because of how many people they have there. Uh, But producers that that has to influence it somewhat. At least. And then 2014, they're looking at making wine in fucking Antarctica. So that would be. I want to try Antarctic wine. I would drink Antarctic wine. For sure. For sure. Quinn, that was a long and relatively quick history. (laughs) Why? A long yet brief (laughs) history of wine. Why? I so is and mead a wine. So mead is a wine, um, mostly because it it's it not is. made from a grain and it is not distilled. Um, if- so I was actually going to ask you: uh, Can you name some wines? You named one mead uh, that isn't made from grapes. I want to say apple wine is a thing, but you said that's just cider. I, I want to say I've heard of apple wine. Is apple wine a thing? Because I was fairly certain it's just cider. And correct me if I'm wrong, but cider is just an apple wine. Okay. Fuck you. I'm not going to admit to that. Yeah, it's apple fin wine. Convince me that I'm wrong. It's a German. Oh, it's a German word for cider. Fuck. Um, ha. <laughs> All right. I like wine even more now. I don't see a problem with this. Uh, so cider. I, sure. We can have this debate in another, in another episode. And, yeah, you, and uh, you want me to name another one? Fuck, not made from grapes? Yeah. Uh, blueberry wine? Strawberry wine? Yep. Any berry wine? Yep. There, yep. Um, so that's like 400. Um, yeah. There's probably like nut wines, I would assume. I have no idea, actually, if there are nut wines. Um, there is also rice wine. Oh, f- um, fuck. Which seems similar composition-wise to what more like a beer, but the end product you get is more like a wine, so it, it's it's a wine, even though it is made with grain, rice. There's also, you know, rhubarb wines. Um, I've even come across pumpkin wines. Not a fan. Um, Dandelion wines. 
Um, my great grandmother apparently made tons of dandelion wine. Um, yeah, so I guess I like wine. I'm just not a grape wine person. I love my meads. Meat is so good, but wine is so good too. <laughs> oh, wine. I would choose wine to go with a meal over a beer and over probably a mead or a cocktail. Okay. If I can have the right wine to go with it, I'm probably going to enjoy that more. I think wine is great for like pairing things or, you know, having with something because it'll complement it so much. Whereas a beer or a cocktail, it's really easy to hit that one note in that drink you have that just completely just doesn't go with what you're eating. But in a wine that doesn't really exist in the same way. It, it's a much more, you know, bordered canvas that the meal can, you know, be featured with. Yeah. No wine and food is, I, I, I struggle making the connection. Like when I'm just like, what would go good with what, but we should do a whole episode on how to pair wine. Oh, I agree. I think that, you know, some wine, like cheat guides for pairing with food. Um, so to our, maybe at this point, seven listeners, um, let us know what you would think about doing a pairing episode. Uh, we could even let us know if you want to see you know, a pairing episode with cocktails or beers. Um, if you want us to do one episode or we can do three, take a little bit of time to look at each one. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think that would be a, a fun thing to do. Quinn, I don't know. Do you have any? Do you have anything else for for the show? No, I'm I'm. Set. I think we hit all the basics of wine. Um, uh, we should have fucking started with the basics, but uh, we didn't. So we're doing it now. So we're gonna hit basics of wine is this week. Uh, we're gonna hit basics of, basics of beer uh, next week, I think, and then basics of mis- mixology from an actual mixologist. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna start our. Um, kind of a mini series on mixology and a guide to making good cocktails and kind of figuring out what to do with what you have. Which you can totally pair with episode two on how to build your own home bar. And I'm sure that our guests, yes, guests will have some key tips on how to, um, how to help with that bar. Are you set up hopefully already with uh, some of our tips we gave you in episode two? They'll give you some more. And uh, um, like we always say at the end of, end of every episode, if you're struggling with drinking or you're struggling with uh, addiction related problems or a loved one is, you can always reach out. There's no problem with it. I'm going to go ahead and give the regular addiction hotline this time. We have the same one usually every week, but here's this one. It's 
four three five seven. That's one eight hundred six six two four three five seven. I think I always say six two two. It's six six two. So uh, definitely reach out for help if you feel like you've hit a point where there's you can't uh, fix it, or even if you know you just feel like you're starting to get out of control. You can always get help, and someone is always there for you. And this is an easy number for you to call. Quinn, this it wraps up another episode that we went longer than we meant to, uh, but that's Wine 101, and we'll roll right into Beer 101 and then Mixology 101, and let us know if you want to hear anything else, okay? Well, so now at the end of the show, I told you I'd give you an update on what I think of the wine, and I still don't like it. Have a good one. <laughs>